Amen, amen. Praise God, right? Wow, Lord, we want that. Go ahead and have a seat. Hey, in the meantime, why don't we go ahead and give a big praise for our youth. They're heading out with Ryan right now. Anybody that's in youth, you're in middle school, high school, go ahead and head out to that lobby area. And also, let's give a shout out to anybody watching online. We're so glad you guys are here today with us. Welcome. I think my wife may be watching online, right, babe? Better be. Now, where is Gabby, you're wondering? Well, we were just in Austin to see little Layla Bear and uh, Anjuna. And uh, Layla's growing up, and uh, it's her birthday coming up, and we couldn't really do it and when her birthday is, so we went a little early. And uh, I came back early. Gabby stayed uh, to hang out. So maybe Layla's watching. So everybody say, hi, Layla. Hi, Layla. There you go. Hi, Gabby. Hi, Gabby. We love you. Okay. All right. That's what happens when you're the pastor. You can do whatever you want. So there you go. So, uh, but uh, we do love her. We miss her. Hey, if you got your Bibles, let's go ahead and uh, open them up to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And uh, so as you noticed, uh, I am, go ahead, guys, if you want to bring Bibles, that'd be great. Um, these guys will get a Bible to you. If you need one, you can just lift up your hand. They'll make sure you get one and you can follow along. Today, we have a special guest speaker, a very good friend of mine. Uh, he is in town. Uh, well, not only him and his wife, uh, very good friends, and they're both here, but um, he, he's been a part of my life. We've done ministry together for many years, and he is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Chattanooga, which is a very large church up in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and uh, he has been a blessing. He's taught here before um, in town. Uh, we had the, a memorial for an old, old boss of ours who uh, taught us a lot about ministry, was a precious saint, uh, Pastor John Chinelli, if some of you may have known him from Calvary, Fort Lauderdale, what a blessing. I unfortunately couldn't go um, because of the flooding problem, so I was here, and, uh, but the plan was we were going to meet up there yesterday, but uh, Frank and Sean came in for that, and we also have a board meeting. He's part of our board, and then he's going to teach, so uh, he is a blessing, man, and you're going to love it. Um, we, we know that you're going to be fed the word today, and that is what this is all about. We want to honor the Lord and honor his word. So uh, make a loud noise for Pastor Frank Ramsor. Thank you. Thank you. Can you, yes, you can hear me. Good, perfect. What a special, special gift to be here with you. Um, I think I, I was here in February, I think it was, Greg and was able to see a little bit about what, begin to see a little bit of what God's doing here. And you guys, since February, you guys are growing. And uh, I was thinking just a moment ago, and I'm knowing that uh, you're in the middle of a bit of a transition, that, uh, you know, we, we, we want to find somewhere. We want to find somewhere to land and somewhere to sort of, some land to possess and to sort of make as our own where you, uh, who you are and who you become begins to have a greater impact and ripple wherever, where, wherever ultimately you get a chance to land. But sometimes uh, living a life where you're just sort of passing through is healthy. 
because when I was here back in February, you're, you know, we're praying and we're wondering where the next thing is. And here I come back now in June and we're praying and we're wondering what the next thing is. And sometimes when you sort of land and you find your place, you can get sort of comfortable and you can get complacent. It can get kind of easy and you don't find that you're as desperate. Like, Lord, we don't know what's next. We found we, life comes with a lot of problems. But I just thought maybe... God's plan for you all for a season, it has been, is to be sort of passers through, which we all are anyway, right? We're all, this isn't home. There's another place uh, that's unshakable, receiving an unshakable kingdom, praise God. And uh, so I just got to thinking about uh, you grow in faith when you have to sort of wait. And uh, waiting isn't fun. We don't like to wait for anything, but it is effective when it comes to to growing. And by the way, your Savior and my Savior is more committed to the growth of your faith than you and I are. He just is. He's committed to see you grow. He really is. Uh, if it were up to us, we'd all be lagging way, way behind. And, and I would also add, especially with the humble privilege to speak just for a few moments with you, um, isn't it beautiful that God uses imperfect people? Meaning, it's the only kind he uses because <laughs> there aren't any others. And so standing before you, you need to know, is just an, a regular guy trying to get it right, get it wrong a lot. I'm not an expert in anything but maybe failure. My wife is here. She can attest to that. I do more failing um, than anything else. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 15, verse 14, but... I want to read verse 13 because we've been talking so much this morning already and singing about hope. This is one of my favorite verses. Romans 15, 13 says, now, and I, this is just, maybe just, maybe you would allow me, maybe I'll open now in a word of prayer, but I'm going to pray this over you all and I'll pray for the service and then we'll jump into now, now, <laughs> Father in heaven, I pray now. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, the words that we're about to read, on the one hand, are they can appear common, they can appear ordinary this is we're, we're past sort of the doctrinal powerhouse of Paul's intention in Romans but sometimes when we just settle down enough before things that seem common some really really uncommon things happen and so I just want to pray for every single person here that you love every person in this room you made there are no mistakes. Everyone here made on purpose, for a purpose. And we'll cover a lot of different things, but I would just want to pray that, that every single soul, every single mind, every single heart will be engaged in a way that there will be something. Greg prayed it earlier. I just add my, my, uh, my two cents to his and ask, Lord, that and myself included, that as I look at words and a message that's familiar to me, that your spirit, it would be, as we just sang, in this place, 
as it is in heaven. It's divine and beautiful, and, and there are words of comfort and hope and strength and correction if we need. But uh, speak to us now. We thank you for how tender you are with us, how patient you are with us. You know our frame. We're just simply dust, but we're yours. And, and Father, sh should there be somebody here today that is not yours, that, that doesn't know you, Jesus? And even that right there is, what, what do you mean by that? Maybe even something that will be shared here and something that might be considered common. Something uncommon may happen. We do bless you and we love you because you first loved us. And we're here for you only. Um, and so help us now and all God's people say. Okay, so I'm going to title this message, How to Change the World in Eight Easy Steps. And, uh, and, and when I say eight steps, uh, if you're like me, when I, if, if a pastor comes and goes, essentially there's going to be eight points to this message, I automatically shut down like, I, I, that's too much. So I'm going to change the title, How to Change the World, in one easy step. That means I'll share several things, but here's my hope. I, I don't expect, I can't even, right now I can't even remember all the eight things I'm going to share with you, Okay. But what I'm hoping is that one of these things that we see in the life of a man who literally changed the world, one of these things you'll take with you and you will watch your world change, okay? Now, it's a tad facetious, right? How to change the world. But not the change the world part in the title because, folks, we can change the world. If God created the world spoke it into his existence as scripture states, then without question, people that are filled with God can change the world. The people filled with him can. And it's true that some people have changed the world like the whole world. And the apostle Paul is one of them. In fact, he said that we sons and daughters of God were actually created in Christ Jesus to do supernatural things while here in this natural place that can bring incredible change. God made us to change the world we're in. Starting with ourselves and you move out into our homes and our community, our workplace and beyond. So the, the sort of the facetious part of my title isn't world change. It's the easy part. Because don't you know that nothing, nothing worthwhile ever really comes easy, right? Across church, I mean, you guys are like, Lord, show us a spot. Make it easy. It's just not coming easy. Nothing worthwhile truly is. So we're going to sort of eavesdrop in on some of Paul's last words to the Romans and see if we can't uncover some of what made him the literal world changer that he was so impactful. And so we're going to read from the real life of a real man who really changed the world and we're going to discover some really great insights. And, and honestly, and I, I think this might be, this might privately live in all of us, but if you've ever privately dreamt about world change, like, God, could I change the world? I, I think that's something divine. We're made in the image of the God who can. But have you ever thought, if I could change the world, then, then pay attention, because I, I honestly believe there's something here. Romans 15, 14, Paul begins. And again, 
we jump in in sort of the middle. He's closing things up. It's going to read a little, you know, we're going to be a little lost in the beginning, but here we go. He says, now, writing to a Roman church, I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all the knowledge able to admonish one another. So having sort of plunged the doctrinal depths, Paul hopes these people understand two things. Number one, he believes in them. Church, I believe in you. I'm confident of your goodness and your full, excuse me, and your knowledge. And it says here, full of goodness and filled with knowledge. Now, the word, both of those words mean like overflowing. And I've got a confession. You know, I, I lived in South Florida for a long time, Greg, and I knew each other back in a former life when we did different kinds of things for a living. And um, I, 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 growing up in South Florida, you not many, not many, or grow, in Orlando and then in South Florida, I, I abhorred country music. Okay, I don't, and I, I'm talking like, you, mm-mm, never. No. Well, then I moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Y'all, right? And um, I actually confess, I like country music. I ju- anybody, is anybody else here like country music? Like, okay, look at you, I love it. There's a song. I don't know the title of the song, okay? And I, one of the reasons why I love country music is because the pictures that are painted from a country perspective are just... So this fella, as he sings, is talking about his girl. And he goes, baby, listen to this. You got to picture this. You are like 10 pounds of sugar in a five-pound sack. <laughs> feel that? You, you feeling that? <laughs> right? You, you just over, baby, you are 10 pounds of sugar in a five-pound sack. That's what Paul's saying to these guys. Your, your goodness and your knowledge, it, it's just, it's 10 pounds of sugar in a five-pound sack just overflows. Therefore, you are very capable of bringing great blessing to others. He wanted them to know that first, like I believe in you. Secondly, verse 15, nevertheless, brethren, I've written more boldly to you on some points reminding you because of the grace given me by God. I'm confident, he writes, that you've got this too. Nevertheless, I have been bold on some points as a simple reminder. And don't we all need reminding, right? I just heard yesterday at this beautiful memorial service that something like 272 times in the Bible we're commanded to remember, okay? And one thing God requires of ministers is helping saints remember things that they already know. Paul says, I'm reminding you of what you already know. Another confession, I'll just confess pastorally, this isn't a country music one, but reminding God's people of what they already know can be a little bit difficult. Because we forget, I can just speak on my own, and God calls me on a regular occasion to remind Calvary Chattanooga of two things that they know full well. Number one, Ephesians teaches that we grow as every part does its share by serving. That is, the church grows, Ephesians 4 says, as every single part plays a part, we grow. Service. I have to remind the church, like, hey, roll up your sleeves, let's do this together. Many hands make light work. They know this, but 
a minister like Paul, you've got, to re, you've got to remind. Secondly, we grow as every part does its share, as Greg just so graciously and appropriately thanked you for your faithful support, right? Serving and giving. These are things that the church knows, but we need to be reminded of. Paul's words, they do comfort me. And if I'm to be faithful, and if Pastor Greg is to be faithful, we will simply and sometimes boldly remind you of what you already know. So Paul says, I believe in you. I have it written because you don't know. You do. But by grace, I'm called to serve you. And how he describes his service is really insightful. Verse 16, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I've written because I have a job to do. I'm a minister of Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. Now, if you don't mind, those of you that aren't afraid to write in your Bible, um, and you'd like to, you could circle the word minister. It is a, it's a peculiar word. Um, it, the word here is not, if you're familiar, Paul would often write in the beginning of a lot of his letters, Paul, bondservant. That word is doulos in the Greek. Servant, bondservant, slave. Nor is this the word diakonos, where we get our English word deacon, minister, servant. The word here, and I'm, we're not going to spell it, and we're going to have to have a Greek class here, but the word is liturgion. Liturgion, our English word liturgy, comes from this word. And of course, a liturgy, liturgy is the form of a religious service. If you've ever been to a lot of churches, their gatherings, Catholic churches, Episcopalian churches, they're very liturgical, right? There's, a, there's an order, there's a form about the service. Now, this is an insightful glance into the life of one of the world's greatest world changers. This is interesting. So Paul saw himself not necessarily like in the temple proper as a minister, like uh, performing this liturgy, but in his world conducting a service to God. We'll, we'll come back to this. Now, Paul's service among the Gentiles was prolific. I mean, he, here we are 2,000 years later because of a man like Paul, right? The, the, the ministry of a man like Paul, Notice, especially to the Gentiles. Notice what he says next. And he'd never been to Rome, so he just wants to sort of report in. He says, therefore, I've reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. For I'll not dare speak of any of those things which Christ hasn't accomplished through me in word, deed, to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem roundabout to that word, <laughs> I won't even try, uh, I fully preach the gospel of Christ. So, so speaking of my service, speech, speaking of my liturgy to the Gentiles, I've reason to glory and boast, but not in myself, never. Uh, no, I boast in Christ. I wouldn't dare boast of what it is that He's done the words, the deeds, the mighty signs, the wonders. That was all done by God's power. God's power was so abundant, Paul says. I fully preached the gospel thrice, three times around the eastern half of the Roman world. And speaking of his preaching circuit, verse 20 and 21 says, So I've made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I build on another man's foundation, but as it's written, to whom he was not announced, they shall see, and those who've not heard shall understand. Now, I love this. Paul said, here's the deal. I I've preached where nobody else had. Nobody else ever did. So, 
that I wouldn't come along and build on someone else's foundation. In the words of James T. Kirk, the great theologian, that I may boldly go where no man has gone before, right? That's what he essentially said. Paul aimed to take the gospel to purely gospel virgin lands. Listen, because he got a word from God's word. And the word, that word came from Isaiah 52, 15. For what's not been told, they'll see. What they've not heard, they'll consider. And we'll sort of file this under a way. We'll come back to this too. Sort of words that guide us. But suffice it to say, Paul, being in the word, got a word spoken to him personally. And this word governed and guided the whole, the whole of his ministry practically. And then Paul adds, because of my obedience to that word, I forewent some good things till now, verse 22, for this reason. Because he made it his aim, he got this Isaiah 52 word. He's like, you know what, that's for me. I'm going to take the gospel where no one else has ever been. For this reason, verse 22, I've also been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts, having a great desire these many years to come to see you. For this reason... Aiming to obey that word, to preach the gospel where nobody else had. I wasn't able to see you guys till now. But now, finally, this door opens to see you. For many years, I greatly desired to see you, but I've been hindered till now. Some desires, some great, genuine, godly desires are many years in the making. And, and I'm probably speaking to the choir, right? Because we're still praying for this place that God's going to give us. Amen. Amen. And while speaking of his great longing, soon fulfilled, to be with them, he spills the beans on a big dream. He sort of, a big dream of his comes out. Look at verse 22. For this reason, I've also been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts, and with great desire to see, uh, the desire these many years to come to you, whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you. For I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you, if first I may enjoy your company for a while. Paul had a dream. It was Spain. I plan to see you on my way, and after enjoying your company for a while, I hope that you may actually help me reach my Spanish dream. This is interesting because here is a man who evidently has sort of ripped cruise control out of his chariot Many, many years. I mean, here is, a, here is a man who is intensely successful, going on in life, going on in ministry, and he's like, you know what? I, there's another land out there that I want to take. He didn't sort of rest on his laurels. We've already got the building. We've already made a name. We've already got roots in our community. Now we can just sort of push pause. That, that was not Paul at all. He had this other big thing in his heart. He sort of dreams bigger and wants to go farther i'm going to go west i'm going to take the gospel to spain i'll see you on my way and i hope that you'll help me reach my dream but before my big dream can be realized i've work left to do look at verse 25 but now so so there's that but but now right in front of me i'm going to jerusalem to minister to the saints for it pleased those from macedonia and achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. If you read the book of Acts, it reveals to us that the, the, the church in Jerusalem, predominantly Jewish, was sort of gripped with poverty. 
And so Paul collects an offering from Gentile churches to help the Hebrew, their Hebrew brothers, out. And he hopes to sort of stir the Gentiles in Rome to help him on his upcoming trip to Spain. Verse 27, it pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. That is, the Gentiles were glad to give. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is to also minister to them in material things. So Paul tells the Romans of his plans, I'm coming to you and heading to Spain, but first to Jerusalem to deliver this generous and appropriate gift. Verse 28, therefore, when I've performed this and I've sealed it, I've sealed to them, the Gentiles, this fruit, I'll go by way to you to Spain. But I know that when I come to you, I'll come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. So, so though Paul had big plans for the future, he hadn't forgotten, we might say, his day job. Right? You know what I'm saying? Like, while we have the big plans, we, we still got to be faithful with, with what's right in front of us. He remained faithful to what was right in front of him. And then and only then, his dream to come to these new friends in the fullness of the gospel he could go. What, but experience had taught Paul, and I think almost every one of us could raise our hands to this, but have you discovered this fact in life that not much goes the way we plan? <laughs> you know, it's almost like the, the foolproof way to not get it done this way is to make a plan. Because as soon as I make the plan, it isn't going to go that way. Uh, but nevertheless, Paul has a plan, right? I'm going to I'm going to see you, then I'm going to go to Spain, but first I got to do this. And Paul got where he ultimately wanted. That is, he did get to, to, uh, to Rome, come back to Spain in a moment. But the Holy Spirit had told him, trouble awaits you when you get to Jerusalem. This isn't going to go the way you think. So verse 30 says, now I beg you, brethren, through the through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you'd strive, your Wednesday night service, that you'd strive together with me in prayer, to prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who don't believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints and that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. So the world's greatest missionary, this is the first missionary letter ever written, like prayer letter goes out, like please pray for me. We won't unpack each prayer request, but it is true that his prayers were answered, but not the way he planned. Paul did get to Rome. <laughs> he was escorted by a group of Roman soldiers. That's how he got there, right? That's not what he was shooting for, but he actually went sort of bound with, you know, arrested. Finally, in verse 33, that didn't hurt at all, 14 to, verse 14 through 33. That didn't even hurt, did it? We did look at 17 verses or 18 verses, nine, whatever we did. And finally, he asked the God of peace to be with them all. Verse 33, now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So we sort of eavesdrop in on this sort of seemingly insignificant conversation. Uh, the end of the doctrinal powerhouse is over, the book of Romans. And so let's just sort of unpack a few things that we see here in this man's life that I think made him, or at least point to what could have made him the literal world changer that he was. Now, I see eight things, 
And remember, I just want you to grab one. The one that speaks to you the most. You go, that right now I can leave with and that I can do. And then we'll watch and see what God does, okay? Number one, if you're a note taker, and every saved person is a note taker, okay? (laughs) Number one, Paul lived, back to that word, a minister, Paul lived liturgically. That's in Romans 15, 14, 16. That is, guys, Paul saw all of life as sacred. Not just what happens here today, and then we go to life, and this was church and spiritual, out there, natural, unspiritual. No, Paul saw all of his life as a liturgy. Like all of his life, he, it, to him, was a, was a worship service. He went through all of life that way. And when all of life is a liturgy, things change. The student living liturgically sees his campus, his classes, his or her study habits as a service to God. The single person who lived, any single people here? Real quick, yeah. Okay, so just imagine real quick how different your next date might be if you saw it as an act of worship. There's, there's a young man in here like, Pastor, you have no idea. I mean, an act of worship, yes, sir, it will be. No, no, just imagine, just imagine, imagine the business owner, there's business owners here, there's school teachers here, there's builders here, entrepreneurs here, stay-at-home moms here. Imagine, imagine us all doing all that we do literally as unto the Lord. Like here's my, my I wake up in the morning and I'm going to live liturgically. Even our leisure can be an act of worship. Paul lived liturgically and changed the world. Our world can change if we live this way, number one. Number two, Paul lived humbly. I love this. He lived humbly. Paul was a man who had a horn to toot. Like if anyone could go like, bro, I did some stuff, it was Paul. Right? I mean, Paul, but with plenty to boast about, he wouldn't. Have you noticed like truly humble people are very reticent to speak about themselves? Right? Right? And if they must, they'll always make sure, especially for the child of God, that all the glory goes to God. You see, grace people change the world. And grace people, those are the ones that are certain nothing through them that's been done was done through them. It was all the grace of God. But I like it. Before Paul would speak of his ministry, he would speak of his grace. That's great, right? Before he would talk about anything that he did, he's like, I, I got to tell you about his grace. And then speaking of great things done, he spoke of the power of God. Folks, the, the, the Bible is very, very clear. Anybody here want more grace? Anybody like, you, listen, you want grace more than you want gold, okay? Listen, God gives it to the humble, but he opposes the proud right? He, he gives it. He looks on and goes, I find a humble man. I will dump grace on that humble man, that humble woman. But the one who walks around like a peacock, you know, with the feathers, look at me, look what I've done. Have you heard about me? Here's my business card. Have you heard about me, by the way? Have I told you how great I am? Lord's like, eh, he opposes that. It's disgusting. And folks, if we're to be people who change the world, we'll need the grace of God upon our lives. And he gives it to the humble. And the grace of God, as powerful as it is, can be snuffed out by that something else that's also powerful, our own sick pride. 
God used Paul, humble Paul, to change the world. Live liturgically, lived humbly, stay humble in success. Three, Paul lived scripturally. And of, and of course, I mean here more than he lived according to the truth of the scriptures. He did, which answers truly how one lives liturgically. You can't see all of life as an act of worship and then choose to be disobedient. He lived his life, all of it, as an act of worship. This can only be done in obedience to the truth. But by scripturally, I mean Paul was specifically guided by God's word. And here's what I'm getting at. We read, Paul aimed to preach where nobody else had gone because, listen, he got a word from God. This is what we call a rhema word. Are you familiar with this, right? There's the logos. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The logos. But there's also a rhema word. And a rhema word is typically, typically, a passage of God's word that he, he, or a verse or a line or a word that he initially meant for someone else, right? When Isaiah wrote Isaiah 52 for the, for the children of Israel, Paul later in the New Testament you know, era, he read Isaiah 52, he read that verse and it was like the Lord spoke it right to him. And he's like, therefore, I'm going to take that for me, and that's going to be the way that I operate. I'm going to take the gospel where no one else has ever gone. It's interesting. So God will come and take a word, and he'll sort of speak it again, if I can, or specifically to another for another purpose. Over the years, you may too have, Greg, I've heard folks say that you really aren't doing ministry. You aren't doing real ministry. Neither am I. I'm in Chattanooga, Tennessee. There are more churches than there are Starbucks on the planet, right? I mean, it is, right? Can you imagine? There are no shortages of churches here. Some have taken this idea and sort of made it like a hard stop, full stop mantra, like no one's actually really doing ministry unless they go somewhere where the gospel has never been preached. I couldn't disagree more. Again, I'm in Chattanooga, a city with over... 900 churches because something God said in, in Isaiah 2 to my wife and, a, wife and I 23 years ago, spoke 24 years ago, spoke to, spoke to us both. My verse wasn't Isaiah 52. My, my verse was Isaiah 55. My, my wife's verse was Isaiah 54. The very same morning, we were married in 1995. Uh, I was 12. She was 13. <laughs> and, uh, we were young. I was 25. She was 23. And uh, my kids look at pictures. And they're like, Dad, what happened? what happened to you? Mom looks like the wedding, and you look like the father of the bride. You know what I mean? What's wrong? What's, what's, what's wrong? My Sorry. It's you, you children. It's, you're the ones who did it to me. You little, you, you little people. That's why my hair is all gray. And, you know. Anyhow, so we're married 20... Uh, 27 years ago, and we were five years barren. And, if, and maybe there's a, somebody here who's dealing with barrenness. We, we know what that's like. And, and for a woman also, right, you have this monthly reminder that it did or didn't happen. And so for five years, every single month for five years, my wife is just like, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. God's not hearing our prayers. But one particular morning... Um, Greg, when am I supposed to stop? Because I don't want to start. Okay, I don't want. And if you, you just go like, you know what, dude, I've heard enough of you. You just get up and go. I'd love for you to come back. But let's, let's I just share this with you to say that this is, so, this is so true. And this is for you. There's something that God wants to say to you that will literally shape the entirety of your life. 
So one particular morning, and we're close, to, we're about three and a half, four years in, um, we, we got up, we were heading over to a little coffee shop to, on our day off and to, to read our Bible, and we were reading the one-year Bible, and that particular morning's passage was Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 55. Well, Sean had uh, another tough morning, and she was real hurting. I was insensitive. Uh, I haven't progressed much in that department, but... Uh, we had a little bit of a marital moment early, and, uh, and so she, she, we order our food. She goes into the bathroom, just cries out to God, like, Lord, I have got to hear from you. My heart is so frail. I'm just wear, I'm worn down. I don't know this. I'm, I'm ordering the food. We're going to sit down. And so she's gathered herself. She comes and sits down with us at, we, together at the table, and we open up to the day. I think it was in September, I believe. And the passage was Isaiah 54 and Isaiah 55. So check this out. I just open. I don't know if she's in the back. I know that we're dealing with barrenness, but I don't know how hard the morning is. And I figure, well, let me just let her read the word first before we, and plus I want to eat. So we, we flip open. We flip open Isaiah 54. And I, and I slide it to her. I didn't read. And she, she begins to read the very first verse. Sing, O barren, you who have not born, you who have not labored with child. For more are the children uh, of the desolate, says the Lord. And, and the Lord just, and she begins to weep. I mean, just begins to weep. And she's like, I was just in the bathroom crying out. And the Lord's like, sing, barren one. You're, you know, you're, you're evidently, five kids later, you know, the Lord answered, right? Sing, oh, barren. Um, it's beautiful, right? So she, she finishes the passage. And we are on staff at Calvary Fort Lauderdale at the time. And um, tears are coming down, and, and uh, it's just beautiful. So she, she flips the, the thing over, and I begin to read Isaiah 55. Here's what I read. Incline your ear to me, come to me, hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I've given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people, and you're going to call a nation or a people you don't know, and nations who don't know you're going to run to because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he's glorified you. Well, this is one of those moments, like Paul was reading Isaiah 52. He was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go where no man has gone before. That's my verse. Well, I circled covenant. I circled covenant in my Bible. It's like the Lord said, and now I spoke to her. And now I'm speaking to you. I'm making an everlasting covenant with you. You're going to be a witness and a leader and a commander for the people. And you're going to go somewhere that you don't know. And the people that don't know you are going to run to you. I circle covenant. Okay. We had been on staff for about two years. Maybe three at the time. Had not had a vacation. And we were going to be traveling up into the North Carolina area. <laughs> about a year earlier. If, and I, I think you guys may or may not have some prayer cards around. Like if you just have a prayer need, yeah, I saw some cards in the back over there. And we used to get these. Like on, we'd come into the office and we'd have five, six, seven, eight, ten prayer cards. And I remember one day, a year before this, I'm driving down the road. And, the, and all that said on the card is, Lord, we're praying for a Calvary Chapel in Chattanooga. That was my prayer request. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, send somebody to start a Calvary Chapel in Chattanooga. And I was like, oh, no. You know, maybe, maybe. Like, I'm like, I think that might. Well, that was a year earlier, okay? So now we have this 
I'm going to make a covenant with you. You're going to go somewhere you haven't been. People that don't know you, you're going to run. Well, we looked on a map. This is before you could open up your phone. And we're like, I think Chattanooga is near where we're going to be going on vacation. Maybe we should drive through just to see, right? Just to see if maybe someone walks up to us on the street. Frank, Sean, come. You know what I mean? We had a vision, you know. I don't know. Y'all, so we, we finished. Y'all, see, I'm, I'm Southern now. So, so we get up from the table. We get up from the table. Check this out. We get up from the table, and we walk outside the doors of this little coffee shop that was in a big strip mall, you know. And we, we stopped, and we looked at one another, and Sean said, I, th- I think the Lord just spoke to us. And I said, me too. Well, just about the time that we stepped off the curb to go get to our car, this huge semi comes and stops, right? You ever hear semis when they hit their brakes? Psh, you know, it kind of scares you. We turn around. The door on the truck says Covenant, Chattanooga, Tennessee. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you, know <laughs> you know, what? You know what? We looked at one another like, you know, my hair's on my neck right now standing up. It was just like, you got to be kidding me. Listen. My point is, and 22 years later, Calvary Chapel Chattanooga has, it's growing, it's thriving, it's just this beautiful work that God has done, and God said, look, five kids, and a Calvary Chapel later, it's, it's like reason one million and one why Pastor Greg is constantly telling you guys, if you do anything, open up the book and let God speak. Because he, listen, our God, folks, he still speaks today. Specifically, right? I don't want to be misunderstood, and I don't want anyone to email Greg. I don't mean that God is still speaking scripture. This canon is closed, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that God will take, and and by the way, since he can't find any better material, he typically quotes himself. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? Like, this is a really good book. So he'll typically, when he speaks to you, he'll speak to you out of here, and, he'll, and, and he can take something that was originally intended for another divine purpose and speak it to you in a way that you go, wow, unbelievable, unbelievable. So that's what I mean by Paul lived scripturally. He, he let something that he heard in the word of God guide and shape his whole life. Four, he lived flexibly. Paul had strong personal and godly desires that went unmet for many years, but it didn't deter him from doing God's will. He was, Paul was a sort of roll with the punches kind of guy. He didn't get his robe in a wad when it didn't go his way. Perhaps you've heard Pastor Greg say it's sort of a Calvary Chapel-ism, right? Blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And God wants to use us to change the world, but if we're like Burger King insistent, you know, got to have it our way, we're in for a rough ride, and what God wants to accomplish through us can be short-circuited if, we, if we've got to have it our way. And to ch- change his world, Paul had to forego some good and godly desires for a time, and it's likely that we will too. And maybe it's this point in Paul's life that most proves what I said earlier. World change is possible. It's just not likely going to be easy. Right? So we've got to be flexible because it's not going to come. It's not going to come the way that we expect it to come. I keep giggling inside as I'm hearing Greg talk about like the 12th hour, like fourth quarter, like one second left on the clock. And I'm like, folks, 
you're the great shepherd that's leading this church and your pastor and the leadership team here. He is not going to lead you this far to leave you at the bus stop. He's not going to drop you off. Something beautiful is coming. I don't know what it is. It's a thrill. I have no idea what it is. But he is doing something here presently. And you may stay here. We don't know. Something's coming. Stay flexible. Don't get frustrated. And you guys are going to see something beautiful. It's going to be so cool. It's going to be so, so cool to see. Five, Paul lived dreamily. (laughs) I'm not even sure if it's a word. He wasn't afraid to dream big. And I do want to take just one second and speak. Well, I'll speak to all of you, but recently a man spoke on discouragement in men's lives with this quote. Most men lead lives of quiet desperation and go to the grave with their songs unsung. Meaning, what's your song? What's the big, what's your Spain? What's your big dream? What's your like, man, if I could accomplish, if we could have, if I could do. A lot of men get sort of stuck in, you know what I did today? You know what I did today? I went to work like I did yesterday. And I provided for my family, provided for my kids. I, you know, I protected everybody. By the way, that, you want to know the core of what happened in Uvalde, Texas, and what's happening all over this country? Daddies aren't in the house. That's the problem. It really is. Yes, evil is the problem. But you go meet that young, that young man who did what he did. There's no dad there, right? So some of you men, they're like, yeah, you know what? You're speaking, my, you're speaking to me, bro. I don't do anything. I, world change. I'm going to go deliver Pepsi tomorrow. nothing matters. Now listen, if you stay faithful to your wife and you stay faithful to your kids and you guys stay together in your home, that is a heavenly work. That is a heavenly work. They can make make a profound difference. I mean, I'm telling you, it, it matters like nobody's business. But nevertheless, I'm convinced that big dreams for the glory of God and the good of others honors God who delights to reveal his glory to others and loves to see others blessed and prospering. And so I just say, what is the big dream of your heart? Do not be afraid to dream big. We've got a big God who will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask, think, hope, dream, or imagine because of the work of his Holy Spirit. Now, this is interesting to me because scholars debate whether Paul ever made it to Spain. Uh, The Bible tells us nothing about it. Scholars debate as to whether or not he ever made it to Spain, which I would suggest that his life was none the poorer for having the big dream. I, uh, even if it went unfulfilled, listen, dream big. And remember, listen to this, it's very important. God's dreams will come to pass. We just got to make sure that ours are his. Do you know what I mean? So a lot of times we're so crushed because like my dream didn't come true. Listen, God's got a bigger and better dream for you than you do. So a lot of times it's like, oh, I didn't get my thing. It's like, yeah, but what if God had a, has a better thing? His dreams for you will come to pass. Okay, just let's make sure our dreams are actually his dreams. He lived liturgically. Let's live all of life as a worship service humbly. We're going to need the grace of God to change the world. And God only gives it to the humble scripturally. Get in the word regularly. Wait for God to give you a word. He will. He speaks flexibly. God's plans, though sometimes uncomfortable, are far better than ours. Dreamily, don't be afraid to have a big dream and believe God for them. Six, Paul lived plurally, meaning he didn't go it alone. 
Paul sought part, uh, partners in life. He, he didn't just teach that we need one another. There were, you know, the body's many members, one, but with many members. But he lived it. And here's a completely capable man who knew he'd never be half as good alone. So he reached out to others to accomplish God's will and, and his goals. In verse 24, Paul said, I hope to see you and partner with you in my dream to reach Spain. L- listen, the man who changed the world Arguably more than almost any other mortal, he didn't dare go it alone. And whoever you are in here, if you're going it alone, if you're isolating yourself, if you're not in a small group, get get connected. Cultivate closeness with like-minded people as quick as you can because we were made for one another. And we we say at Calvary Chapel Chattanooga, listen, we're going to go farther, better, and faster together than we ever can alone. It's just, it's just true. Amen? Amen. I'm coming to the close. He, hey, I'm coming to the close. I promise. I'm beating you all to death. Number seven, faithfully. He lived faithfully. That is, he hit pause on Spain, but Spain would wait until he faithfully finished the job before him. Perhaps one of the greatest obstacles on our way to our big dream, or let's just say world change, is impatience. We get impatient, and then we become we begin to wrestle with faithlessness. We, 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 we have a lack of faithfulness. We're often in such a hurry for something to happen that we cut corners, we fret, and we complain. And here's something that you're not going to like. God is in no hurry. Don't you hate that? He's in no hurry. Moses, right? Moses. 40. Acts tells us that at 40... I'm going to be the deliverer of Israel. He's like, I'm, I'm. So he goes, right? You know the story. At 40, trained in all the military prowess and the language, all the finest universities in, in, in Egypt. He's like, I'm going to lead these people free. What does he do? He, he kills one Hebrew. Excuse me. He kills one Egyptian, buries him in the sand. <laughs> that didn't work. Wind blows. <laughs> Uncovered the evidence. Right? And then he spends, where, 40 years on the backside of the desert with a stick in his hand, tending sheep. Now listen, here's the heavy thing. It took 40 more years in the school of hard knocks to make Moses the deliverer that he would ultimately be. Right? Well, here's the thing that I've often wrestled with. Under the heavy and increasingly pressure of the Egyptians, you sit there and you go like, I talk to so many people. Like the time is now, it's urgent. We are in urgent times. But listen, God cares more about you, the instrument, than anything that he can get out of you. If God would have sent Moses at 40 to lead the children of Israel, can you, I've got five kids. We're out of the uh, minivan stage, which was hard to actually get into. We did it. Once you get in a minivan, you're like, I actually like this, but you don't tell anybody because you just throw them all in the back, right? If you've never had the experience of a 12-hour drive in a minivan with five murmuring, complaining, whining children, then you think about Moses as one man with two million people in his minivan. And what do they do? We want, we want, give it, we want me, we want, we're going to go back. And Moses is like, ah, oh, this is insane. 
right? If he had done that at 40, he would have turned around and killed, he would have started slaying people. We, and God, at, at 80, he's like, you know, Lord, I ain't got enough time. I don't even have the energy. You know I mean? just, I'll just put up with it. I'll just put up with it. The Lord trained him. He, he, he's not in a hurry. <laughs> he cares more about you than anything that he can get. Listen, we live in a disposable culture, plastic forks, right? You are not disposable to God. He doesn't look at you like, you know what, I'll use you up. Kick you off to the side. I'll get, you, I'll get my work done, and then I'll just chew you up and spit you out. That's not the way God works. It's not the way God works. He'll prepare you. He'll train you so that you have whatever it takes to navigate whatever it is that you face if you, give him, if you just be patient, right? Jesus said it this way. If you're faithful with little things, I'll come along and I'll give you more. Just be faithful with a little thing in front of you. Paul lived faithfully, finally, and you're going to do it on Wednesday night. We've already done a lot of it this morning. Paul lived prayerfully. Paul knew to accomplish what he needed to accomplish daily to reach and to reach his big dream. He needed the prayers of God's people. He saturated his plans in prayer. And talk about world change, right? Prayer changes things. It's true. The greatest thing prayer changes is us. And changed people change their world. And I find these to be biblically true these eight things will change us and change people change the world amen so father here we are before you and and i think inside even each of us there is something well ephesians makes it clear that we are your workmanship we're your masterpieces just hard to believe that you see us that way but we are and you created us for something and because we're created by God Almighty the something that you've created for us is not only good it's eternal it's powerful it's supernatural it is heavenly and so Lord whatever the one thing was that somebody heard this morning maybe it's flexibility maybe maybe it's seeing all of life liturgically maybe it's faithfully going you know what I'm just there's a husband here going I, I got bigger dreams for what I'm doing but I got to be faithful right now with what's in front of me I don't know how it is or what it is specifically but we know you still speak today. And so, may we leave with something that we say, you know what? That I can do. With God's help, I can do. And I pray in Jesus' name for every person here and for this church, there are greater things yet to be done to God be the glory, great things he's done and great things, oh God, you're gonna do. Bless this place, bless this people, transform this community, make these folks literal world changers starting in their hearts, their homes, this community and beyond. And all God's people say, amen, amen. amen. God bless y'all.